Now let's join together in prayer. Let's pray. O Lord our God, help us as we sing these songs to ponder the truths contained within them. The psalmist refers to the subtle fowler. And the psalmist refers to the noise and pestilence. And it reminds us of the enemy of our souls. Because sometimes he is so subtle in the way he deals with us. That we are in his trap before we even realize it. It is just so subtle. But then there are other times when there's no subtlety at all. It's loud and it's boisterous and he is what scripture describes as the roaring lion and the sheer fear of him envelops us and devours us but may we remember that that song reminds us that the one who is under the shadow of the wing of him that is almighty is our God we ask you to forgive us for the days that we forget that for the days that we are nervous wrecks and we are all over the place with anxiety and fear. O oh Lord our God, please help us to come to your word and to absorb it and to enable us to make it our armor for the battle zones of life's uh, journey. We thank you that uh, you will spread out your wing and you will shelter us. And you will keep us safe, no matter what the situation may be. The psalmist could say, God is my refuge and my strength. In straits, a present aid. And we pray that we would remember that. We pray that we would remember that. We find ourselves as a nation in straits. Politically, economically, socially. And perhaps most of all, morally. We live in a day and age <clears throat> that is so bent on the destruction of everything that you would have us know and respect. But we realize it's not limited to our nation. It goes around the world. But uh, we would ask you in wrath to remember mercy. We don't deserve the least of your mercies. But we turn heavenwards and we ask you to be our strength and to be our stay. We remember those uh, in our midst who are mourning afresh. We think of Innes Fraser and his family, the wider family, in the loss of a loved one. We think of the McFacker family, the Mackenzie family, the McLaughlin family. Every week of the year. In the events of life, you are speaking to us loudly and clearly. We think of the devastation a week ago in Seoul and um, South Korea. And the terrible agony that has brought to so many where most of the dead are teenagers or in their early 20s. O oh Lord our God, we pray that we would learn from the lessons of life to stick closer to you each and every day. We give thanks this night for the sound of little voices in our midst. We thank you for them and we thank you for the safe arrival of little James Gray into this world. We pray that you'd bless all our youngsters, born and unborn. And we pray that you'd bless all those who are in old age, who are finding life difficult in a way that they didn't in the past. Bless those who are in mid-years. We realize that no matter what age we are, in you we live and move and have our being. So let us bow and worship off you afresh in this night. And wherever your people are found across the globe this day, we pray that you would bless them. We pray that you would give us wisdom and guidance as to how to deal with the difficult issues that come our way day by day on life's journey.
And we pray that you'd remember our loved ones, wherever they are this night. Gather us all to yourself, that we may all be safe for time and eternity in Jesus. And all we ask is in Christ's name. <clears throat> Amen. Now let's sing uh, to God's praise in Psalm number 61. It's found on page 78 of the Psalter. Psalm 61, page 78. And it's at the beginning of the song. Oh, hear my urgent cry, my God, and listen to my plea. From earth's remotest bounds I call when my heart faints in me. O God, conduct me to the rock that's higher far than I, for you're my refuge from the foe, my tower of strength on high. We'll sing verses 1 to 5 of uh, Psalm 61. O hear my urgent cry, my God. word as we find it in the epistle to the Romans and at chapter 8 and we'll read at the beginning of the chapter there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death for God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law, indeed it cannot. 
Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and uh, fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been grown in together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who are the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that those who love God, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that, who was raised, and who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. 
Amen, and may God bless to us that reading from his word. Let's join together again in prayer. Let's pray. O Lord, our God, we do realize that so many of our anxieties and worries and fears come from us not listening to what you are saying. We realize that one of the fears addressed in this letter is that people may still be condemned. We look at ourselves on the inside and we ponder and we wonder. But we come to the word of God and it tells us very clearly there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And it is a reminder to us that we must come to your word on a daily basis. We must glean from it. We must know it. We must allow it to seep into our very constitution so that at these moments when the enemy comes in like a flood, we know who we are and we know where we are. We know that we have fled to Jesus as sinners and we know that our standing is in Christ and we pray that that would be an encouragement to us as we go on in the, in the battle zone O Lord our God we pray that as we turn to your word afresh this night that you would help us we realise that it is sheer futility to be here if we are not helped and enabled by you and we have nothing to woo you with Nothing. We have forfeited everything. Absolutely everything. We are here this night because of your promises. And uh, so we pray that we would open our mouths and they would be filled with the good things of the word of, of God. We pray that you'd be with us. And you'd guide us and you'd keep us and you'd bless us all. And all we ask is in Christ's name. Amen. Now let's sing again to God's praise this time. It's uh, Psalm 62. It's found on page, well, it's at verse 5. We'll sing from page 80 of the Psalter. Find rest, my soul, in God alone. In Him my hope is ever sure, my safety, fortress, sheltering rock. In Him alone I am secure. My honour and salvation rest on God, my rock and mighty fort. O people, trust in him always. To him alone pour out your heart. Verses say, 5 to 12 of Psalm 62. Find rest, my soul, in God alone.
turn to the book of Psalms and at chapter 25. I'm going to read it first in the Scottish um, Psalter, the metrical version, the first version at verse 10. The whole paths of the Lord are truth and mercy sure to those that do his covenant keep and testimonies uh, pure. And then I'll read that in the uh, ESV. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. Now let's by God's enabling seek to explore something of this area of scripture this evening. We're continuing in our series on Psalm 25. And... um, There are two things we want to say a little bit about this evening. First of all, what this passage has to say about God's ways. And then secondly, say a little bit about our ways. Because we, despite being gloriously saved through God's way of grace, we still have responsibilities. So first of all, uh, God's ways. All the paths of the Lord. Now in the metrical version it says the whole. And the whole is referring to all the paths. Or we could say the ways of God. Now what is the way of God? Well there are many ways of God we could speak about. For example the way of God was to create the universe in the first place. The way of God was to save a fallen human race. The way of God was to send his only begotten son into this world that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now what I want us to pick up on is this. That all the ways or paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness. Now the word stead, what we have in the English there is steadfast love. Is this Hebrew word chesed. And I often refer to this word chesed. It's translated in different ways. Sometimes it's called the love. Sometimes it's called the loving kindness. Here it's called the steadfast love. And and that tells us this. It tells us that the people who were translating this word into English struggled to grasp the words that would enable us to capture all that is included in the Hebrew word chesed. It is, it is a difficulty with translation um, to get the exact same word. You know, I quite often hear this man here say, saying, he'll be saying something to me, oh, he says, it sounds better in the Gaelic. And, and, that, and that will be true. For, if I take, for example, the, the, the English word love, there are four Greek words that we translate into one word, the English word love. For example, there's storge, there's eros, there's philia, and there's agape. All of these four words are, are, are huge words in the Greek language, but we only have one English word to cover, to cover them all. And I guess that's why C.S. Lewis wrote his book, The Four Loves. And um, it's a very, very interesting Read, although to be fair, um, to be fair, the late Finlayson, who was who had the chair of systematic theology in the Free Church College for many years, did not ha- did not find C.S. Lewis's book on the four loves. He did not find it all that helpful. But there you go. My point is this: that sometimes there is a struggle to get. The Hebrew and indeed the Greek, and there's a little bit of Aramaic in the Old Testament as well, and, and indeed a, li- a much smaller bit in the New Testament. But uh, I think we just read the Bible and we take it all for granted and, and, and we forget about the issues that, uh, that, that, that are there. Now, as far as inspiration is concerned, it's the originals that were inspired. Translations are 
Now, I don't want to say that. I was going to say translations are not inspired, but, but there can be weaknesses in the translations, if you, if you know what I mean. I don't want to, I don't want to instill any lack of confidence in, in God's Word in, in, in the English language, but nor do I want to bury the, 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 the issues and the struggles that have been um, over the years. We do have the inspired word of God before us. There are about a thousand uh, words. And, and let's remember this book contains 66 books. From Genesis to Revelation. 66 books. There are only about a thousand words. And, and the vast majority of them are prepositions. That there are question, uh, that there are question marks over. I want us to be very clear on, on this issue. That the inspired word of God is in our hands. And we must make this our cue and our guide and our stay in life's journey. You know, I was, I was having a discussion recently with somebody about a present day moral issue or an immoral issue it was. And I pointed to the Bible and I said, well, it's pretty clear there. And this is the answer I got. Yeah, but the Bible's an old book. And I think what was meant by that is this, it's out of date. It's not out of date. It is not out of date. The Bible was written over a period of one and a half thousand years. And this is where it is so crucial for us to know what the doctrine, the teaching of inspiration of Scripture is. Because if God has inspired it, it's never ever it's never out of date. But I'm getting sidetracked here. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness. Now I want us to take an example from the Old Testament and an example from the New Testament just to underscore and reiterate what this chesed love of God, this steadfast love of God and this faithfulness of God is all about. Because we're not like God. We're not like God by nature. We have been made in the image of God, but so much of our lives is defective and deformed by sin that we're not like God. We're not steadfast in our love, nor are we always faithful to uh, one another. But the steadfast love of God and the faithfulness of God, they do not change. You know, we are just so fickle. We are just so fickle. We can be in a good mood one moment and then for no apparent reason whatsoever we're in a bad mood. And if we're in a bad mood, and it's usually the people that are closest to us that incur the, the wrath or whatever you want to call it of our a, a bad mood and what, you don't get bad moods with God. You don't get fickleness with God. You don't get changeableness with God in that kind of way. He is the same yesterday, today and forever. And you know God made a covenant with Abraham. And he told Abraham that Abraham's offspring would be like the sand on the seashore. That's an enormous number of people. And you remember what Abraham and Sarah was involved in it too. They waited for God and they waited for God and they waited for God. And in their fickleness and changeableness they got fed up waiting for God. So Abraham has a relationship with Hagar. Where did the idea come from? It came from Egypt. It came from paganism. But that was not, that was not going to be the way of God. By and by Sarah would bear the child of promise. And you'll remember that time when Abraham was at the te his tent door and the angels come by and the angels reassure Abraham that he is going to have a child and Sarah is listening in and Sarah laughs the laughter of ridicule. Don't be ridiculous. I am beyond childbearing age. And so she laughs the laughter of faithlessness and, uh, and of ridicule. And the messenger of God says, yeah, but you will have a child. And by and by that child was born into this world, Isaac. And you know the descendants of Isaac's son is called Jacob, at least he's the one that's the child of the covenant. 
And remember his name is changed from Jacob into Israel. And it's his descendants that make up the children of Israel. And it's the children of Israel who go into bondage in Egypt. And you will remember after many, many years of slavery and bondage in Egypt, they cry out to the eternal God. And this God listens to them. Why does God listen to them? Because he is a covenant-keeping God. He is steadfast in his love. He hears their cry and he delivers them. We were were looking at that uh, this morning. He delivers them with the ten plagues. And, And you know the ten plagues... They were hair-raising experiences for the uh, children of Israel. And these hair-raising experiences, you would have thought, would have put them on a trajectory where they would have been committed and loving and faithful and steadfast before God. But they're hardly out of Egypt and they're saying, you've taken us out here to die. We're away from the fish and the lemons and the garlic and the onions. of, of, of uh, And now it's Moses they're saying it too. But Moses was chosen by God to do what he was doing. So really their argument isn't with Moses at all. It's with, it's with the God of Moses. How changeable, how fickle and how sad is that. But it is a perfect example of what the human race is like. We are flawed. We are seriously flawed. God is not flawed. Let me take an example from the New Testament. You remember how it was with Simon Peter? Do you remember what Christ says to him? Simon, Simon, Satan hath desired to have thee, that he may sift thee as wheat. What's he saying? You know, we've been singing songs today that talk about that talk about problems coming our way in terms of a subtle fowler. Now, these are images from a past age. But a subtle fowler, you know, the, what the fowler would do is this. Who was, the person who was wanting to catch a, a, a bird in the days when there were no guns and whatnot, there, there would be a track. There would be a track that the, that, that, that the bird would be in. And what the fowler would do is he would, he would dig a hole... And then, deep enough to take the bird that would fall into it, and then cover up the hole and camouflage it so that the bird wasn't aware that there was anything untoward. And the bird goes along the track, and before before the bird knows anything about it, it's in it's in the trap. It's trapped. It's just so subtle. And that's the way it is with the enemy of our souls. Sometimes he is just so fly and so sly and so subtle that we are caught hook, line and sinker before we realize what's happening. Sometimes that's the way he deals with us. But there are other times when he's at the opposite end of the spectrum and he's not hidden or subtle in any way whatsoever. He is, he is coming like a roaring lion and he's just thundering at us and we wilt and we succumb and we buckle just because of the ferocity there's nothing hidden about it we know who he is we know what he's about but we've we've gone under and that's the way it is with the enemy of our soul he swings from one end of the spectrum uh, to, to, to the other end of the spectrum and in this image that Jesus is Referring to with Simon Peter, it's it's um, it's it's a sieve. They would put some of the the corn in the sieve, and and the sieve would be shaken so that the seed would be separated from the chaff. Get rid of the chaff and hold on uh, to the seed. But the idea is a violent, violent shaking. Why would the enemy of our souls want to violently shake Peter? What the enemy of Peter's soul wanted to do to him was to assault him and to assail him to the extent that his faith would be destroyed. That's the aim. 
That is not going to be achieved. But that's not are going to be achieved because Peter is some some expert in the field or because Peter's made of exceptional stuff. Because actually Peter made an absolute and utter mess of things. The, the, the person who was so full of self-confidence and the person who thought he was better than everybody else sins more than everybody else as well. The pendulum goes to the very opposite end of the spectrum. Well, what is it that held him together? Because after he did the terrible thing that he did, we read of him that he went out into the cold Jerusalem night and wept bitterly, and well might he weep bitterly, but we believe he wept tears of genuine repentance. But why? Here's an astonishing thing. Here is an example of the steadfast love of God. Before Peter ever falls, I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. You see, the salvation of an individual is so precious to God and so precious to Christ. Or let's take the example of the salvation of Peter's soul is so precious to Christ that before he even falls, he is praying for him that he will not fail. His faith will not fail. And ultimately, his faith did not fail. It comes close to the borders of failure, I would think. But it doesn't fail. And you see, the ways of God are steadfast. And the ways of God are, they are faithful ways. Now I want us to remind ourselves of this. We've all got the spirit of the children of Israel in us. We've all got the spirit of Simon Peter within us. We have all messed up big style in life's journey. But there is a God who sets out on a way of salvation. And he isn't going to fail. And so he will look over us. He will watch over us. He will attend to us. And he will ultimately save us. These are the ways of God. They are astonishing ways of God. But these are the ways of God. But I want to move on and say something about our ways. Because this area of scripture underscores our responsibilities. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. What does that mean? I think some translations, the word testimonies is uh, translated using the word commandments. And I think that might be, be clearer. For those who keep his covenant and his commandments now that might be a bit confusing because isn't the covenant of God to save a people for himself by his way and not by keeping the ten commandments Jesus keeps the ten commandments for us and therefore that's our way of being saved substitutionary atonement but this seems to be saying for those who keep his covenant and his commandments well let's try let's try to unpack this I read the 8th chapter of the epistle to the Romans because it begins with this there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus and I think what we have to sort out here and it's very important if we get this wrong we're going to be all over the place in that chapter we read about justification but it's not just justification we have to think about. We have to think about sanctification as well. Now remember the difference between justification and sanctification. Justification is a one-off act. It only happens once. Sanctification is a process that goes on and on and on. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. You see, by nature, we come into this world as sinners... But we don't just come in as sinners. We come into this world as condemned sinners. And our condemnation is that we will end up in the lostness of hell if that trajectory is followed. 
Now, we don't like hearing about that as a society nowadays. But whether we like it or not, that's not the important point. Is The Word of God reveals that to us. But that's not all that the Word of God reveals to us. We can get off that trajectory. Or at least, I should put it this way, God can get us off that trajectory. And that's what he does in the great work of justification. Because justification is forensic. It's all about law. And it's this idea of, um, of a judge. And someone appears before the judge. And the judge either says, you're guilty or you're not guilty. One or the other. Now how are we before the great judge of all the earth who is God? We are as guilty as get out. We are polluted in sin. We are defiled. If we're going to be honest about these things. But here is the astonishing message that God gives to us. God takes our sin. They're given to Christ. That's half the story. The other half is that Christ gives us his righteousness. That becomes ours. So that in the eyes of God the judge. He is basically saying... There's not a single sin I can see in you. That is the glory of the gospel. And that is what justification is. It's a one-off. And when that happens, it stands forevermore. This God changes not from all change and mutation free. Now we've got to hold on to that. Because when we come on to the area of sanctification... Which is a different thing altogether. Remember what sanctification is. It's a process. And it's a living unto righteousness. And it's a dying unto sin. And when it speaks about a dying unto sin. It basically means separating from sin. Now how do you separate from something if you don't know what it is? If you are going to separate yourself from something. You need to know what that thing is. And you see, this is what God does in the lives of believers. He manifests sin to them. Do you know, it's quite astonishing how we have been capable of living with sin in our lives and sin in our history. And it hasn't really hit home to us. The enormity, the enormity of it hasn't really hit home to us. But by and by, as the process of sanctification goes on and on, God reveals that. That's why you hear people, sometimes good, genuine people, saying, Oh, I'm worse today than I ever was before. You think, how can that be? That can be if the process of sanctification is operative in their lives. They're seeing themselves in new light, in new ways, as they further explore the Word of God, and as they reflect upon themselves, and as they engage in self-examination. You sink lower and lower and lower in the water. So there are these two things, the doctrine of justification and the doctrine of uh, sanctification. Now here's where we make a fatal mistake. Sometimes you hear people saying, because of substitutionary atonement, I'm saved through what Christ has done. I don't need to bother with any law. I'm saved anyway. That's a fatal error. Because we are not done with the law. We are not done with the law. It is true that... Christ has paid the price that the law requires for our sin. But remember, this is the Christ who also said, If you love me, keep my commandments. So a believer is somebody who tries to keep the commandments of God, not as a basis for being saved, because we're gloriously saved by grace and by gift. But our expression of thanks to God, our expression of thanks to Christ is manifested by our seeking to keep the commandments. Which commandments? The Ten Commandments. And this is where the battle is exceedingly fierce. Because there isn't a day that we don't falter and fail. But the genuine believer wants to put in the effort and wants to express thanks to Christ for what Christ has done for him 
or heart. And you know, the more you go along the process of sanctification, and the greater you see that your sin really is, then there's something that parallels that, and that is a greater appreciation of Christ and what he has done for us. And of course, we can't appreciate Christ and what he has done for us without thinking of the Father and indeed the Spirit eh, as well. And so this area of Scripture says, for those who keep his covenant... Well, you know, people say, I'm in covenant with Christ. He's paid the price for me. I don't need to bother about anything to do with the Ten Commandments and His commandments. And His commandments. It is true that the great doctrine of justification means that we are safe in Christ. But if we abandon the commandments and we're not bothered about them, we are not going to have peace in our souls. If we want to have contentment and peace in our souls, we respond to the kindness of Christ towards us by seeking to keep his commandments. If you love me, keep my uh, commandments. And so we have explored something of the ways of God, a God who is steadfast, and a God who is faithful. But it is for those who keep his covenant and his commandments. We have a, we have a responsibility. We have a responsibility. You know, I remember in the days that the late Murdo Alec MacLeod, who was the minister of Greyfriars, in Inverness and latterly the minister of Stornoway Kenneth Free Church in Stornoway but he, I remember him warning us often about this this whole idea that was on the go at the time and it was this whole idea of let go and let God and I guess that had something to do with this idea of the sovereignty of God you know, God's sovereign and God will look after you and, you'll, and everything will be okay. But alongside the sovereignty of God in Scripture, what's underscored and underlined is our human responsibility. We are moral agents. That's the way God treats us. We have responsibilities. And if we neglect our responsibilities, we will pay the price of neglecting our responsibilities. And the price of neglecting our responsibilities will be we will not have peace and we will not have contentment in our souls. I've often said this about the great doctrine of election that you have in Scripture. It's, scripture makes it absolutely clear that God elects. But that very same Scripture also makes it very clear that God treats as, as moral agents when he says seek the Lord knock and the door shall be open call upon me in the day of trouble we are responsible uh, moral agents and this is a song about lifting up our souls in worship to this God to this great God of justification and this great God of sanctification we are glad tonight that God is from all change and mutation free and that he will always approach us in his chesed that there will always be steadfast love and there will always be faithfulness but we have our duties and our duties are as people who keep his covenant and his commandments. Now we will falter and we will fail. It's a battle zone. But it's a battle zone in which I trust and pray that we will put up a fight. That we will put up an endeavor. Indeed, I shouldn't really put it like that because we have no fight left in us. We have no endeavour. But he will enable us to fight. That's the way it goes. It's, it's hand and glove. It's hand and glove. 
But we bow this night before a God who is steadfast in his love and a God who is faithful. That's our hope. Amen. Let's pray. O Lord our God, we thank you that you are who you are. We are ashamed that we are who we are. But we pray that we would turn heavenward and we pray that we would listen to you and we pray that you would give us the grace to do what will honour you each and every day and what will benefit us in our souls. Remember us, take us to our homes in safety, watch over us this night and in all that lies ahead, whatever lies ahead in life for any of us. Help us to be safe under the shadow of the wing of Jesus of Nazareth. And all we ask is in Christ's name. Amen. Now let's conclude by singing to God's praise in Psalm number 63. It's found on... It's found on page uh, page 80 of the Psalter, Psalm 63. At page 80, at the beginning of the song, O God... You are my God alone. I seek your face with eagerness. My soul and body thirst for you in this dry, weary wilderness. We'll sing verses 1 to 8 of Psalm 63. O God, you are my God alone.
Now may grace, mercy, and peace from Father, Son, and Holy Spirit rest on 